Ultra. Hello and welcome back to Rocky Minute. We're the daily podcast that covers the movie Rocky one minute at a time. I'm your host, Doug Greenberg. And I'm Jason Haynes. And with us again is Scott Corelli. Hello, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me back, guys. Thanks for coming back. Uh, today we are knocking out minute seven, <laughs> which starts with that same nice shot of Mighty Mix that we saw yesterday, and it ends with Rocky walking past... Uh, some row houses on Tusculum Street in downtown Philadelphia. I, I love, I love Mighty Mix Gym. I love the way it looks. I love the faded sign, mm-hmm. you know, on the front and on the side. Again, it 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 just gives you that that feel, that downtown Philly feel. I love how narrow it is. There's something about you know these uh, urban set movies where. You know, if you if you're not in an urban setting and you go to a gym, it's it's it it's like this big open space. It's like a warehouse with you know yeah, all exactly. kinds of stuff in it. And uh, and this is just yeah. I mean, they just this was the building they could afford when they could afford it, and they just threw a gym in here. Uh, <laughs> and I, I there's something really charming about that. Yeah, and the, and the way it's um, it, it looks where where the entrance of it is narrow, and then it it flares out towards the back. Cause like that, like the Ironbound building in New York City, yeah, like a corner building. Where like the entrance faces the corner, not one of the adjacent streets. Mm-hmm. So it's narrower where it's facing the corner, and then it it, it gets wider the, the deeper into the building you go. Right. I just love that building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got the uh, street corner singers hanging out. Yeah, the Take It Back gang. I would anyone this is this seems like a very unrealistic thing like what are they what are they doing like, why are they just standing around a trash fire singing singing yeah did the bars yeah. let out and now all the drunks are just on the street or <laughs> what, is, what is this situation <laughs> evidently um it's they're like a uh, just a fixture on that corner because as Rocky walks by him, he, he tells him they get better every year. Mm. So they're not just there today. They didn't just group up today by a flaming trash can. They, they've been doing this. Yeah. What they do just sit and sing all night. Stand by a trash. It, it, it is com- completely unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, was there, was there a point where this movie took place like around Christmas time and they were supposed to be carolers and, <laughs> Carolers around a flaming trash can. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. It's it's just bizarre. Yeah. I mean, the only the, the only thing you associate with a flaming trash can is homeless people, right? Right. Keep yeah. it warm. Well, yeah. it's November. I mean, they're they're way too good as singers to be homeless. They are pretty good. I do enjoy them. Uh, I, I noticed. Yeah. Uh, the the corner that they're on. You had mentioned Tusculum, right? Tusculum. Tusculum. They're on the corner of Kensington and Tusculum. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, yesterday I got into one of my moods where, you know, we're talking about with the inflation calculator and I Google imaged Tusculum and Kensington now and the the building that they're in front of is gone now. It's like a vacant lot. But if you follow Google image and like you go down the street or whatever, 
once you get once you go down the corner and you get to where Rocky's apartment was, those rural homes or whatever, mm-hmm. it looks exactly the same today as it did in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> the, not the corner. I said the building's gone, but the apartments, they look exactly the same. And you go on Google Image, you can actually walk Rocky's route, come down the street. Oh, take yeah. Take the right on, I think it's East Tuscul- Tusculum, and walk right down the street right to Rocky's house. Wow. And it was pretty cool. Google Image nowadays, but... And then... <laughs> That took me off. I Googled my house and where I live in my neighborhood. And I spent about an hour on Google Image last night. You and your rabbit holes. <laughs> but it is pretty cool that the houses look the same today. Yeah. Is this bar that Rocky walks by, is it – do we do we see that bar again? Is that the bar? Because one of the things that he likes to do in uh, these movies, especially the ones that like take place in Philly – he reuses a lot of locations. And so like, I'm kind of wondering if this is, it looks a little bit like where his, um, his restaurant is in, uh, Oh, you're right. Oh, good point. That is a good point. You're right. It kind of does look like that, that kind of, uh, that corner. Yeah. I don't know if it's that, or if it's the bar that he ends up seeing what's her name with that, or there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of, uh, recurring, uh, scenes in between those two movies. He likes to um he likes to call back uh situations too. Like mm-hmm. the uh like one of the uh featuring credits that we get in this this part right here, it's uh the girl little Marie, uh actress named Jody Letizia. Right, yeah. Um, but they uh you know, she she has that famous line at the end where she says, Screw you, creepo. Right. And uh <laughs> they have a cut scene from Rocky Five where uh Rocky and Paulie run into a, a couple of street you know, street bums and Jody, uh, I'm sorry, little Marie is there with them and Rocky recognizes her and, you know, they have like an awkward exchange. And at the end she says, Hey rock, screw you. <laughs> like, you know, you have, <laughs> I'm glad they cut that out. But yeah, you know, it's like he had to recall that, that yeah. moment. Well, he still, he still recalled it in uh, Rocky Balboa. Cause that's the lady I was talking about. Was yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. He has that yeah. whole like kind of sort of kind of romantic thing with her. Yeah, that's Whatever that's a little that awkward. Yeah, a little <laughs> awkward. <laughs> Whatever that is. Um, but I, when uh, I first yeah. saw Rocky Balboa, I, I was wondering if that was the actress that played Marie um, back in the seventies, but a different actress. Yeah. But everybody knows at this point, right, that one of these singers is Rock is uh, Sylvester Stallone's brother, Frank Stallone. Oh. He's not always found singing around a flame a flaming trash can. He's uh he was singing in a I guess he still does. He sings in a jazz band, toured with an orchestra, and he wrote and sang a song for Staying Alive in nineteen eighty three, which was nominated for a Golden Globe and a Grammy. Hmm. Um he released nineteen eighties pop album. Oh. And uh which peaked at number one on the billboards. I guess he kind of ventured off into that what what was popular in the eighties. 81 out of 100. I mean, at least he made it to the billboards, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an amateur fighter, too. He fought Geraldo Rivera on the Howard Stern show. Do you know that? No. I didn't either. Uh, uh, he ended up beating uh, Geraldo Rivera. I don't, I, I don't know if it's one of those, like, your brother's famous, you're marginally known, so you, you're doing what you can to get in the spotlight. <laughs> I mean, Howard Stern show is just a, a shit show anyway. Like he'll be on The Apprentice soon or Celebrity Yeah, Apprentice, yeah, but... yeah. <laughs> or if that, uh, what was that, um, Surreal Life, where they got a bunch of, uh, that's where, <laughs> that's where uh, Flavor Flav and Rocky and Sylvester Stallone's ex-wife, Brigitte Nielsen, um, fell in love. Fell in love? Yeah, on The Surreal Life. <laughs> Imagine that. Let's say I watched that. 
Uh, but in all, uh, Frank Stallone had 10 albums. Uh, his last was in 2010 with the uh, memorably titled Let Me Be Frank With You. No, <laughs> 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 that cracks me up. But uh, he actually wrote the song Take You Back for Rocky uh, for the movie. So he wrote and composed. And I don't know who the other singers are in this scene, but you know he's he's the one wearing like the the letterman jacket with the the gray jacket with the white sleeves yeah the s on it yeah is that an s it looks like an s or a five and then we get um burgess meredith's uh title oh we want to touch on tony tony burton oh yeah t- um like i said there were seven seven names in all in this uh featuring um tony burton was one of them who's has a much bigger part in the upcoming Rockies, but that's uh, Apollo's trainer. Burgess, like you said, Burgess and Bur- Burgess Meredith as Mickey. So that's like the, uh, the big nod to the big star, right? I, uh, I remember when, because there were two things as a kid that I watched more than anything. And it was the Rocky movies and Batman 66. Oh, yeah. And I had no idea. That Burgess Meredith was Mickey and the Penguin. <laughs> and when I learned that later in life, I i mean, my brain just melted. Uh, <laughs> nuts. That's absolutely crazy. I could I could still very clearly to this day um, hear the Penguin going. Rah, 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 rah. Yeah. 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 He, he was he was he was a killer as the Penguin, man. Oh, man. But you're right. It's two different characters, two different Two better, different looks, like better than Danny DeVito as the Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> I like Danny DeVito as a Penguin. There's no Burgess Meredith. He looks like he stunk as a Penguin. Like just smelled <laughs> like fish or something. Oh yeah. Oh, maybe it's that scene where he eats a fish raw. <laughs> so Stallone actually wrote the part of Mickey for an actor Lee J. Cobb, who he thought was brilliant in On the Waterfront from the '50s Marlon Brando film. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Allison asked Cobb to read, and the guy got pissed. He said, "I've done sixty movies. I don't, I don't need to read." He said, "The last time I read was for a radio show in '36. If you wanted disc jockey, you should have hired one." So he's kind of just an ass, and he walked out. He ended up walking out. Um, I don't, I, I, you know, in his defense, he's not wrong. That's not how you do the, that. But in in Sylvester Stallone's defense, he probably didn't know that. <laughs> you know? Okay, fair enough. You know, like he, he, you know, Stallone didn't know that you're not supposed to ask uh, an actor to read. I think he was probably just excited to maybe work with this guy. Um, yeah, he wrote the part for him. Right, so exactly. Sure it was. So, like he probably just didn't know and and didn't realize that, oh, that's actually really disrespectful. I'm sure that Stallone today would say the exact same thing to someone who told him to read. Right. <laughs> that's that's a really good point. Yeah. So I, I think it was just a miscommunication there. You know, the mm-hmm. the guy didn't have the patience for it. And Stallone was a little ignorant about how uh that process works all right yeah new new writer excited to work on his first film right probably right Right. all right i take it back he's not an ass (laughs) (laughs) but also considered for the part of mickey was uh lee strasberg lou ayers and brother crawford they're all guys from that started in the 30s and came up you know in that golden age of of tv and movies so when burgess meredith 
auditions. He the, he read the scene where we first see Mickey in the in the gym when he throws Rocky out of his locker. Before like Rocky turns to walk out in that scene and uh, the part where where Mickey says, "Hey Rock, you ever think about retiring?" Um, that wasn't in the the original script. So he read the part. Um, he kind of ad libbed that part, and they loved it. They're like, "Now this is the kind of kind of just hard nosed guy that that Mickey is." They hired him. Hired him on the spot. Mm-hmm. He was born Oliver Burgess Meredith. He has 177 acting credits between 1935 and 96. He was, as you mentioned, he was the Penguin and Batman. And uh, he appeared on the Twilight Zone in four episodes. But his most famous one is like one of the most famous Twilight Zone episodes ever. Time Enough at Last. Are you familiar with that one, Scott? Uh, that's the one where uh, he wants uh, to be alone to read, and then he is, and then his glasses break. Right? It's that one. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. The most heartbreaking, <laughs> heartbreaking end to a to an episode. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he served in the Air Force in World War Two. Uh, he joined a theater company in 1929 in New York City, and despite his success in in film and TV, he kept he kept going back to the stage. He won a Tony in 1974. And he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Rocky and The Day of the Locust. Also got a Golden Globe nomination for Day of the Locust. Uh, won Emmy Award in 1977 for Tail Gunner Joe. Yeah, that's all I have on Burgess. You have anything you want to add? Um, I mean, he's he's a, legendary. Oh yeah, I mean, he's a and he's he's just a brilliant actor. I, the, the fact that you know after you learn that he's the Penguin and Mick. You're like, yeah, oh yeah, of course that makes perfect sense. Look at him, um, but but when you but when you are you know before you learn that it's just, I mean those are two completely different characters. It's nuts, um, right? If you if you it's the same guy can play in two different films and play their characters so so unique mm-hmm. um, that you can't even tell it's the same actor. That's that's something special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, watching most of my uh, live television in, in the 90s, I, I also, um, whenever I think of uh, Burgess Meredith, because, you know, he's he's only in, what, the first, like, two and a quarter uh, of these movies, yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, and it always seems like the later ones are the ones that are on TV a lot. And um, uh, so, like, whenever I think of, Burgess Meredith. I just think of like the little claymation uh, lisp and iced tea, uh, <laughs> Mick, oh, yeah. you know, um, that, like yeah. I remember that Rocky, com- the, the, the Rocky yeah, yeah. Uh, Lipton iced tea commercial. That's uh, yeah. With the, the oversized heads on the, yeah. on the character. Uh, yeah. yeah I so I always think of that Burgess <laughs> Meredith is like from that. Um, Did he do uh, Mickey in those commercials? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that was That's after funny. he died or before, or I'm not positive, but. In any event, I, it's always the first thing I think of when I think of uh, Burgess Meredith is that yeah. weird commercial. <laughs> it's funny, the, the connections, you know, you make in your childhood with, mm-hmm. with certain things. Yeah. All right. So Rocky, Rocky walks along and he's clearly friendly with the singers. He tells him he's getting better every year. He takes a pull from their bottle of wine, champagne, hooch. What is that? I'd say um, it's hooch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is with him and... Uh, like he, t- he takes the guy's cigarette out of his mouth in the gym, drinking out of other people's bottles. What is with this guy? They don't care about germs. They don't care about germs in the seventies, or they definitely yeah, do. <laughs> right. There's not a person in that lineup right there that I would share no. a bottle with. 
I, I, well, and I think, I think, uh, you know, he takes what he can get, uh, cause he makes $40 for a fight. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. But although I would be, I would be honest if I shared my hooch with Rocky and he took a swig and then just spit it back out, I'd be like, Hey, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> like be cool. Like drink it. My God. Right. <laughs> Um, we got the uh, credit for music by Bill Conti. Skipped over Gene Kirkwood, no? Did I? Did I, did I fast forward too much? Uh, I might have missed Gene Kirkwood. I was too concerned with the Gene spreading Kirkwood. of germs that I missed Gene Kirkwood. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing on Gene Kirkwood then. The only, the only <laughs> thing that I saw on Gene Kirkwood was that he was also the executive producer of Get Rich or Die Trying, 50 Cent's uh, life story movie that was released oh. in like the mid-2000s, I guess. Weird. I thought that was a weird. He didn't do very many movies. It wasn't a whole lot of credits that for him, but his two biggest movies are Rocky and Fifty Cent Story. Huh. I think that was two, you know, opposite sides of the spectrum. Interesting. Well, actually, Fifty Cent. You know, he, what is that? <laughs> it's a commercial. For what? Oh, I'm on IMDb and they just you looking up Gene Kirkwood. No, the uh... oh, the commercial. Yeah. No. Not, I'm not looking up the commercial. I'm looking up uh, art director James H. Spencer, who uh, did Stripes, Poltergeist, Gremlins, Inner Space, were his most notable. Gremlins 2, the new batch, of course. <laughs> those, those are some good movies, though. Gremlins, Poltergeist? Yeah. To that's... be an art director for? I didn't, I didn't really know what an art director did, so I had to Google it. We clearly know nothing about the industry. I, I have no idea. If you asked me yesterday what an art director did, I would not have been able to tell you. <laughs> but, you know, if the art director's in charge of what I found is he's in charge of basically the creative the creative vision for all locations. So yeah, I guess the what you're seeing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you if that's your job, Gremlins, Poltergeist, those are some pretty good visually um, attractive movies. Oh, yeah. they take, uh, are they supposed to take like the storyboards and make and bring them to life? Uh, no, they, they basically design the sets you're on. So, you know, like the, like when you go into a character's house and the way it's decorated, you know, like all the objects in the room, the way that they're placed in the room and why, like that's what the art director does. Which is going to, um, play heavily in this block of minutes Mm -hmm. where Rocky's apart. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it plays heavily throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. (laughs) Uh, edited by Richard Halsey. Edited a lot of some good movies. He act, he won the Academy Award for Rocky for best editing. Oh wow! Rightfully so. He edited one of my favorite movies of all time, <laughs> Mannequin. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love Mannequin. He, he edited Mannequin. Edward Scissorhands, Sister Act, Bring It On, Fight to the Finish in two thousand nine. He I'm sold at Mannequin though. He's my favorite editor for that alone. <laughs> for Mannequin. Oh, Mannequin's a great movie. <laughs> I also, I I just just to go back to Bill Conti. Uh, he is so freaking proud of the Rocky theme. I mean, he has a Twitter uh, and uh, his like his like pinned tweet is just a tweet going da 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 da. Like he he just he he loves uh, this Rocky thing theme, and I I'm fairly uh, I'm fairly sure that he's um, that this is this is like kind of like his only. Uh, known thing like he he's composed lots of stuff i mean he did the karate kid and stuff but i you know i don't think he ever composed a piece of music that was as memorable as the rocky theme um i think i read he did uh 
he did the music for the Academy Awards, right? He he was the musical director for the Academy Awards eighteen times, which is the most that anyone has ever ever done it. Yeah. Wow. He was nominated for an Academy Award for for a best original song for Gonna Fly Now, but he lost to Evergreen from A Star Is Born, which was sung by Barbara Streisand. What? But the actually the year that he was nominated, he directed that Academy Awards. And but hmm. he would win he won an Academy Award in nineteen eighty three for best original score for the right stuff. And in that category, he beat out John Williams for Return of the Jedi. Oh, wow. That feather in your cap. Uh, Gonna Fly Now topped the Billboard charts in 1977. This was Bill Conti's thing, though. He's pretty much just a a composer and for movies, TV shows. He did, um, you know, we talk about, like, we talked before about movies and moments and things that remind you of your childhood Mm -hmm. (laughs) when you were young. Well, uh, Bill Conti did the theme songs for Dynasty and Falcon Crest. Oh, wow. Which, <laughs> you know, at my age, I could remember clearly watching Dynasty and Falcon Crest with my mother, <laughs> along with Dallas. And uh, those theme songs, you could remember those theme songs for Dynasty and Falcon. They stick in your head all the time because I had to watch them all because I was at that age where I had I was home with my mother and we only had one TV in the house. It wasn't like I'd go in the other room and watch another show. So you Did know, your mother pretend to punch you during a fight scene when you watched <laughs> no. <laughs> I remember many fight scenes Dynasty But uh, yeah This was his thing Like he said He did Karate Kid I actually have A connection to Bill Conti I think we're Pretty much almost related <laughs> Bill Conti uh, He wrote Gonna Fly Now uh, A very popular version Of Gonna Fly Now Was Played by Maynard Ferguson A famous trumpet player In 1977 It okay. hit The Billboard charts As well And I was in a band That actually opened up For Maynard Ferguson <laughs> Really? Yes. In high school, I was in a show band, and we um, we opened for Maynard Ferguson. So, so me and Bill s- Conti are connected very yeah, close. You have a six-degree separation to uh, Sylvester Stallone. See that? Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But yeah, so that was my connection to Bill Conti. But music in this movie is very, very important when you get to the, the training montages and the fight scenes and... You know, even the lonely walks through the town where the doon, doon, doon is playing. Yeah. It's just played such an important role in this. And Bill Conti, like, perfectly fit the music to, to match the, the mood of the movie. And he even talks about, like, you know, there's there's moments when, when it's depressing and he wrote the depressing music. And then he would, he would always put, um, especially in the training montages, moments of where the music got, you know, louder and inspirational because he said, you know, he had talked about, I watched an interview with him where... He read the script before he wrote the movie, the music. Right. So he knows that Rocky loses, and he actually says like, "This guy's a loser. He's a loser for 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 an hour. He's a loser." And it goes and it ends with him losing. So he's writing a movie. The way he looked at it was about a loser. Mm-hmm. And he said, "But the the peaks in music where where it gets loud and inspirational was to make you think that Rocky actually had a chance in this movie. He went. He used the music to make you believe like." Here's this loser, loser, loser. Like, wait a minute, you know, this guy actually has yeah, a yeah. has a chance to win this fight, and then he would bring it back down to being a loser again, and and he that's how he wrote the music, and it it really played played a major role in the, in the music is almost like a character in this movie. And go back to what Scott was saying yesterday. It's probably the music that leads you to think that Rocky won that fight, right? Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And uh, it's I like how like the uh, piano reprise of of fanfare is what he uses in like the sad parts, but mm-hmm. it's the fanfare is the fanfare. It's like a, a big inspirational piece and he tones it down and just uses the piano to like convey sadness. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you can you can go both ways with that, and and to me, that's incredible that you can use a fanfare, tone it down, and make it like a sad song. Well, I think the instrument plays a role in it too. Like the like he said, he used brass um, for the moments in the training montages when to convey some inspiration, you know, to motivate. He used brass, and he says brass to him was synonymous with like going into battle. Like when you're, you know, brass instruments would be, you know, warriors going to fight. And piano was used for like the depressing moments because it was more mm. of a, you know, it signified depressing times. Yeah. So, like I said, you know, the music played a huge role, and he did a, an excellent job at tying it into the script. Uh, we have the director of photography, James Crabe. It's another Karate Kid mm-hmm. connection. Yeah. Well, usually, usually directors keep their director of photography, so that makes sense. Oh, okay. Yeah. What does the director of photography do? Uh, so basically, um, the the director who is in charge of everything on the set, you know, like every decision that's made, uh, goes through kind of like siphons through the director, and so you know that's acting decisions, you know, that's. Uh, shots and things like that. And what the director of photography does is he's in charge of the um, the visual. So the director describes to him how he wants something to look or feel, and the director of photography executes it um, through working with the ga- the the gaffing department and lighting and all of that to you know color correction and post everything. So like the actual look of the movie like the colors and things like that, that is usually the uh, director of photography who's in charge of that, um, m- making sure that uh, he is he or she is executing what the director uh, wants the movie to look and feel like. There's a lot of moving parts in making a film, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's, like, a, it's like a pyramid of, uh, of departments with the director at the top of the pyramid. And then it, it trickles down to the other departments and the director of photography is essentially in charge of the visual department. So everyone answers to him, like, uh, you know, the lighting department answers to him, electrical usually, uh, answers to him. Uh, the, um, uh, art director would answer to him because again, that's part of the visual, uh, visual concepts and things. So like, it, it, it makes it so that the director doesn't have to talk to a thousand people. He only talks to like, you know, the five basically like mob bosses of right, the different yeah. departments. Yeah. yeah. Definitely seems like that, like a family right. tree kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, the direct, the director of photography, um, you know, what you, what I've learned, the more I've gotten into learning about film and everything is that. The director of photography has more to do with the look of the movie than even the director most of the time. Oh wow, that's interesting. But see, so far we've been talking about, you know, we're only on minute. What are we on seven? And mm-hmm. one of the things we discussed a lot is the look of the movie, the, mm-hmm. the the grimy, gritty streets of Philadelphia, or whatever, and how important that was to the movie. So it seems that a lot of that is credited to the photography director. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because because what happens is the director basically goes to him and says, "What you said, I want to I want to really accentuate the griminess and dirtiness of you know modern day in 1975 Philadelphia," and and the director of photography is like, "Okay." And then figures out how to do that. Wow, so they play a, a rather important role in movies, especially a movie like this. 
Oh yeah, million. yeah, way way more than people ever give them credit yeah, for. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Rocky's in a good mood now. I think he's hit the peak um, after his his big uh, forty dollar victory. And running into these people on the street who all know them makes him feel popular. Makes him feel makes him feel like a you know like a champ. Yeah, you can see after he um, after he meets up with them when he comes down the street. And he getting close to his apartment. He breaks into like a little run. He throws the ball a little more. You know, mm-hmm. almost loses it. Yeah, it looks like Thro- he throws got a couple away punches. <laughs> you know, and he's like really, really in a good mood now. Yeah, it's the the the, the peak, yeah. the peak before the fall. All right, that's all I got for this minute, you guys. Yeah, no, that's it. All right. So, what are you working on lately, Scott? <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I'll just, I'll just uh, simplify it and say, go to duelinggenre.com and go check out uh, everything we've got over there. I think, I think we've got a lot of stuff, and uh, if you just kind of like check it out, there, there's definitely going to be something over there that uh, you'll probably be interested in. So, go check that out, duelinggenre.com. Yeah, on top of. Uh your own podcast that, that you do. You also um, uh, use duelinggenre.com to host other minute-by-minute podcasts. I don't have the list right now, but but I'll read them off, uh, you know, maybe tomorrow. But you do a lot. You do a lot, and I give you a lot of credit for it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, we, got, we got a whole family over there. Nice. All right. So if you want to find out where Rocky is running to, come and join us tomorrow in the next Rocky Minute.